confessing. Like they sat face to leaf with a plant. And had confession? And like confessed their sins. No, I haven't heard about this. Was there a reason? Reason why they did it? Yeah. There, let me read the tweet. Okay. Today in chapel, we confessed to plants. Together, we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering them to the beings who sustain us, whose gift we too often fail to honor. What do you confess to the plants in your life? That was the tweet. And the irony is that they're talking about the plants that sustain us and confessing to them, but don't confess to the God that sustains us. Welcome back to the Christ and Culture. This is Gordon. And Clint. And how you doing, Clint? <laughs> uh, to be honest, so I feel like a lot of times on here we say like, oh yeah, we're doing great. This has been a rough week. I've reached out to you multiple times for prayers, which has been awesome, so thank you. But yeah, it's just been super chaotic. A lot of stuff coming together at, at work at the same time. And then I texted you last night late because with all the storms we've been getting, it actually leaked through my apartment wall and soaked the wall or the lower part of the wall the carpet in one of the corners and then my dresser and bookshelves because they're made of wood they soaked up the water and now they're like falling apart because they're like compost board you know yeah uh, not compost board but compa- compact board kind of like yeah kind of like bulletin boards yeah and so yeah. it it fell apart so now all the legs on my furniture in my bedroom are like destroyed so it's been kind of a rough week, to be honest, so yeah, that's prayers crazy. prayers would be appreciated. But yeah, I think things will start getting better uh, next week. Work's going to start calming down a little bit, and hopefully my room's not torn up and I have carpet again by then, so we'll see. But yeah, how about you? I am pretty tired, mm. just because you already know this, because we've, we've been talking, but uh, I just spent all day bottling beer. Yeah. Which is really not a bad gig. It's just a very tedious gig. Mm-hmm. It took like five hours to bottle 10 gallons of beer. Usually I, me and Steve do it together. And so it's like a little easier with like a team and like a uh, Ford conveyor belt system type thing going right. on, you know. But he's got the gala going. Yeah, so he's really busy. And so it's the first time soloing it. But it was good. And then I've also just been going, going, going since, well, I guess since the storm because I would have been going, going, going through the storm, but the storm canceled a lot of things. But yeah. like Saturday, we had a retreat, and then I had mass talks and tables on Sunday. And then yesterday, me and Lizzie woke up early and went and saw Downton Abbey. Oh, yeah. You've been waiting for that for a long time. I've been waiting. Was it, was it everything you wanted? It was everything. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. It That's was so good. Just a nice little package. Nice. And last I remember you were like wrapping up the second to last or final season and you're trying to figure out like who survived and stuff. Did you manage to not have any spoilers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No spoilers as far as going into it. I mean, they wrapped up the season. Like they could have not come out with a movie. Sure. Okay. I've been fine. Yeah. But the movie was just like a nice touch. I had like a lot of questions 
in the last episode like you know yes that was good but like does this person get together like what could have happened this, like well just like small things like they hinted at like oh they like each other but like what well, do they do they get together mm-hmm. and so those things were were like completed and it was like nice cool it was really funny too because we saw it at 9 40 like early bird special and we were like the youngest people there by like a long shot for real yeah I guess that makes sense. Everyone else is like at, at work and stuff. Everyone's at work, and so everyone else were like in their sixty, like like parents taking their parents, but those parents taking their parents were also like already in their like fifty eight oh taking their parent. Holy cow! And so it was just great because the guy next to me, he was he had to be like in his late seventies or or more, um, just judging by looks, and he's actually just he twenty. Didn't and just like didn't age well. Like he didn't do much throughout the most movie, but there was like one part where the What's her name? She's from Harry Potter. Oh, McGonagall. Something Smith. Margaret. Margaret Smith. Maggie. Maggie Smith. Yes. Yeah, Margaret. But goes Maggie by Smith. Maggie. She's very like witty and and like sassy. And yeah. she says something to someone, and he just like loses it, and I, that made me lose it. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. She's like the matriarch of the house, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. She's the mother of the heir of Downton. Gotcha. I'm going to be honest. I, I watched three episodes a couple years ago, and I couldn't keep She's keep the best of, the, of everything. But, yeah, it was really good. It was nice. Cool. British, you know, no, like, sad ending. Everything's all nice and neat and proper. proper. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Other than that, do you have any current media, any new stuff you're taking in? It was the biggest one. Lizzie and I, I've been having her catch up on The Good Place. Because oh, okay. season three came out, and I only watched season one originally. So I saw season two, then rewatched one through two with her. Mm-hmm. And we haven't started season three yet. So we've been watching that. As well as before that, we started this show, but we didn't continue it yet. But I want to, it's called Forever. It's with, uh, oh gosh, I don't know his name. I don't think I've even heard of it. It's on Amazon Prime. Oh, that's probably why. And it's two, like, comedians. Like, one of them's, like, documentary now on Netflix and some other like they're both from snl originally back in the day okay and it's essentially they're married and they like love each other a lot and you can tell they're perfect for each other because they have like they're like really weird in small ways but they're just in the motions of marriage mm-hmm. you know and so they go to change something up and he ends up dying oh wow and then you think like that, like the next episode's her, and then she ends up dying, and then they are living in heaven together, or they're living somewhere in the afterlife together, forever. Pretty much, they're like in their normal clothes in a normal house, and she's like, "How long is this gonna be like this?" He's like, "I don't know," and that's that's as far as we got. It's like episode three of like ten, and so I don't know what happens. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely not heard of that one. It was, it was interesting. But I eventually have to get Amazon Prime so I can watch The Lord of the Rings. Mm. Which they announced is going to be in New Zealand again, which is oh, pretty cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, nice little nod. I think New Zealand can, like, officially take that title. You know, like, when the Hobbit movies came out, which were not great, and I'm not endorsing them. When those came out, they actually, the Air New Zealand, painted their jets to look like smog and like different characters and stuff mm. new zealand is like so much behind like supporting like all this stuff which makes sense because it 
boost their economy and stuff. So, anything else? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What about you? Let's see. I'm trying to think. So, during that storm, there was a day where, like, they closed our parish office. So, I was just, like, stuck at home. So, I've been reading and, and finishing a letter to a suffering church. So, we've mm. talked about that a couple of times. It's super easy to read. I don't know why it's taking me this long. It's more of just like I pick it up, read a couple pages, and then put it back down. So I finished just that. leave it on the toilet. And then every time you, you take a dump, you'd probably get through like five pages. That's true. I'm just like, I'm never at home. That's part of it too. It's yeah. been kind of a crazy couple of weeks. So. But I, I did finish it now. So very, very good. If you haven't read it yet, it's free. You just have to pay for shipping. Or if you go to a church that is handing them out like Gordon did, <laughs> then you can this get them for free. This happenstance. I never go yeah. to that church. Yeah. So they're super easy to find, and, and it's very, very good. So I'll, I'll check that out. And then the other thing I did while I was stuck inside all day is I I, had, I think I had mentioned on the last episode how I had been watching Yu-Gi-Oh! The That's right. anime TV yeah. show. So I just like watched a ton of Yu-Gi-Oh! that day. And actually, it pulled out. Like, I went in my closet and went through like my boxes from that I haven't opened since like I moved here. Basically, found my uh, old Game Boy from when I was younger. Pulled it out and I played some of the Yu-Gi-Oh games too, and actually beat one of them. So that was pretty fun. To be honest, that's basically it. Other than like just music on the radio and stuff, but there's nothing that really stood out from the music I've been listening to. So that's fair. Yeah, I've been like crushing catching foxes lately oh just yeah because i've been so behind on podcasts for some reason but now i'm pretty much caught up and i there was there's the ones i was the most behind on i was like six episodes behind okay i listened to like six in like a week and a half yeah i just finished their newest episode today so um, good what's the uh roman circus pod yeah. so man i've been crushing that i think in the last couple of weeks i'm on like episode 40 or something like that like i'm just going through so starting from the beginning but we've talked about that a couple of times so yeah. i'm not yeah. gonna bore you guys with the details there but speaking of what what i started watching a couple weeks ago a couple weeks ago a couple weeks ago this is like what a month ago that i watched this now a couple weeks ago our topic for today I've mentioned it as part of my current media a while back, but the Netflix series Chernobyl. Netflix? It's, yeah. It's on Netflix? No, 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 HBO. Oh, sorry. Okay. sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was like, it was I, was like I definitely would have watched it if no. it was that easy to obtain. HBO. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> it's been a while, okay? I'm forgetting where it's coming from. Someone made it and put it on a streaming platform, okay? It came out like right after Game of Thrones ended. Yeah, because we were talking about how. They used Game of Thrones to, like, piggyback, I guess. So they piggybacked off Game of Thrones, like, the audience. Everyone had HBO, but they were just getting it for Game of Thrones then deleting their subscription. This, this, the trial period, right? Yeah. Well, right. Not, not a trial. You can get, like, a one-month sub- subscription, I think. Oh, okay. And so they are just, like, getting a short one rather than extending it. And so they released it right as the last couple episodes of Game of Thrones was ending. And people really loved it, and so it kind of took off this summer and so i watched it probably almost about a month ago now about a month ago now but i i loved it it was so so good i didn't know a whole lot about chernobyl other than like the basics that mo- most people really know. don't know most yeah, most anything about chernobyl you know it was a power plant that exploded at least i do okay because of your notes 
because of my <laughs> all right great wonderful so we're gonna go ahead and go into that it's a, it's a five episode show if you haven't seen it yet go check it out uh it is probably a mature audience i would say for language and then there is one episode that has non-sexual uh, nudity a little bit as well so probably for adults on that one but very very good so episode one starts out in moscow april 26 1988 and dates in this are really really important uh and times because the full first like three episodes are all happening in the course of a day or two like mm-hmm. it's all happening just really really fast right. well so, when's it end just like what's the span of the show so after that it it kind of jumps a little bit so i think it all takes place within two years if i remember right yeah two years and one minute okay is the total time frame okay but three episodes all happen within the course of a couple days yeah got it so we open up with a a voice and i'll read the quote in a second but we we later learn that this is one of our main characters his name is professor lagasov okay and I'm probably going to butcher some of these Russian names, and I'm sorry. Hopefully, none of our Russian listeners are offended. So Chernobyl is in Russia. Chernobyl is in Ukraine, which at the time was USSR. Okay, yeah. City of Pripyat? Did I say that? Do you know? Uh, they said it in the show, but... Pripyat? I don't in the remember. north of Ukraine. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, we, we later learn who it is, but at the time, we don't know. And so he's saying, what is the cost of lies? It's not that we will mistake them for truths. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, we no longer recognize the truth at all. What can we do then? What else is left but to abandon the hope of truth and content ourselves instead with stories? In these stories, it doesn't matter who the heroes are. All that matters is who is to blame. In this story, it was Anatoly Dyatlov. He was the best choice. He ran the room that night. He gave the orders. And no friends, at least not important ones. And now Dyatlov will spend the next 10 years in prison in a labor camp. Of course, that sentence is doubly unfair. There were far greater criminals than him at work. And as far as what Dyatlov did, the man doesn't deserve prison. He deserves death. And then a little bit later on, he says, All that matters is justice was done. Because to them, a just world is a sane world. There was nothing sane about Chernobyl. What happened there, what happened after, what good we did, all of it, madness. And so we see what he's doing is he's recording six tapes of essentially his story of what happened at Chernobyl. And then he secretly sneaks out of his apartment and walks down like a dark alley with them, pretends he's taking out the trash. But in reality, he hides those six tapes in a secret like hole in the wall of the building. And then he goes back up to his, his apartment. And you can see that there's people watching him from the street. He's definitely being spied on by someone. Okay. And uh, later we learn that it's essentially the USSR Secret Service. But when he goes back up to his apartment, he commits suicide. And then we have a flashback two years and one minute earlier. So... Already, you can um, just guess that there's something greater going on than just an accidental explosion. Exactly. So let's go ahead and just dive into this quote a little bit. I think some of it's, there's not a whole lot you can go into because you don't know the story yet. But do you have any thoughts on kind of what he's saying, especially in that that first quote, I guess? 
Well, actually, what comes to mind, just because I guess I was in the movie theater yesterday and so I saw a bunch of trailers. Have you seen the trailer for Dark Water with the guy that plays Bruce Banner? No. It's a new movie coming out. It's not out yet, but I think it's coming out in the next month or two. Dark Water. And okay. it's about the water plant like up in the one of the dakotas it was kind of it was a big deal that was poisoning the town it was in okay and lying about it for 40 years oh for real and he was a he was a lawyer for big companies like that and then like a friend of his like hey can you just come look at my farm and the farmer lost 40 cows overnight and he's like that's not a mistake like that's not a disease and so he's showing him the water and he's starts like researching it. And the more he researches it, the more he's like, what the heck is going on here? And so that's just what this huh. quote made me think of. Cause I feel like the show is kind of like the same thing. He were like hiding something. People are like shady and it's been going on probably longer than just right before Chernobyl blew up. Mm. But just so in, in this one sense, the first question I just, that's the only thing if I take, what, what are the cost of lies? Mm-hmm. And so for dark water, the cost for the businessman is profit, is money, you know, but the cost of the, for that profit is possibly a town of small folks and kids and local farmers might die of early age or get cancer mm-hmm. uh, for this. I don't know what else was going on, but the cost ultimately was massive death. What were they gaining? Probably the same thing, profit, money, some kind of power. We'll get to it. <laughs> Uh, uh, but, yeah, but it's like it's like a it's a the business thing of trade offs, and we do that as customers, where, where you're choosing what you sacrifice for to, to obtain something. Yeah, whether it's like a few dollars, like do I want to lose twenty bucks or do I want to only only pay five dollars for something? Um, risk and reward. Where, yeah. Whereas the risk here is like losing lives or losing cows, right? But in a larger sense, of kind of what we do, the cost of love of lying is also salvation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. And I think especially what he's trying to get at here too, is that it's not even just that well, his kind of assumption is that he's saying it's not that we're, we're going to think those things are true. That's not the cost. The cost according to him is that we become so numb to lies that we don't even recognize what is true at all anymore. We just are so saturated with these falsities that we can't even recognize any truth, which also like that claim makes sense, right? Because if like Christ claims to be the truth and we no longer recognize what truth is, then whatever these falsities are, are keeping us from that and recognizing him. And it goes on to say then that uh, we become so obsessed with stories instead, which I want to point out is not the same thing of what we're talking about because we talk about stories on here all the time. Right. But what he's talking about is the corruption of stories being used to cover up truth rather than to reveal truth. Right. And so he's talking about these fake stories that are invented to cover up what is actually happening where the heroes are actually not glorified, where the heroes are not recognized. And that's kind of the opposite of what we talk about on the show. So... Anything else for that first kind of scene? No, I mean, it made me think of this past Sunday's reading, the gospel of the dishonest steward. worker. Yeah, the steward. Yeah. But I don't want to get into that because the whole gospel is really too confusing for me anyways. And <laughs> Maybe another time. Yeah. 
Okay, so like I said, after that scene, we go back two years and one minute. And it's 1.30 a.m. on April 26th, 1986. Okay, so we see that they're in some kind of control room and a fire starts at a nuclear plant, Chernobyl. One of the workers says that the nuclear core exploded and the other say that it's impossible. And so they keep going on as if it's just some kind of fire in some tank. Mm -hmm. I don't know all the details. So sorry, I'm not a nuclear physicist. But basically, they, they just call in the, the firefighters from the nearby town, the one that you just mentioned before that I can't pronounce. And they call in both the civilian and military firefighters. So it's basically they're saying it's, it's a big deal, but it's just like it's a fire. Right. Right. So they bring everyone in and they do test for radiation and it's too high to measure on the like practice devices that they have. And they don't notice this. The people that I was just mentioning don't notice all this stuff happening, but people's skin start to burn and you see them vomiting blood. This is more of like in the facility itself or the, the firefighters. Eventually you see this happening to them too. And the scientists in the control room keep saying over and over again, we did everything right. We did everything right. The entire series, these guys are saying that. And one of them, uh, actually a couple of times, people say, do you taste metal? And that's because there's sulfur like in the air and they, mm. they can taste it. Okay. Uh, which comes up later. So we're kind of flashing back and forth between these two scenes, the firemen and the uh, people in the control room. Got it. And so back with the firemen again, one of the firemen picks up a stone from the blast. He's wearing like these big, heavy, like fireman gloves. And within a few minutes, it has burned through the glove and his skin, even though he just picks it up and sits it back down, burns through and like destroys the glove and his skin starts to melt off. And anytime they touch that stone, the same thing happens. And so they start staying away from it. Going back to the control room, we learned that the person in charge of the control room was Dyatlov the guy that we had just heard about in that quote before. And he calls in the day shift employees to kind of like compensate for the issues that are going on. So they have yeah. more workers, but in reality he's endangering an entirely new shift of people unknowingly or possibly knowingly. So then it flash flashes forward to two thirty. the directors of the entire plant show up and the man in charge of the control room, Dyatlov gives the other guys whose names I didn't get an update, but he says what he thinks happens and completely ignores all the facts that they've seen up to this point. And he says, it's not that big of a deal. We completely have it under control, even though they haven't done anything to actually control it. Right. He's just saying just a little fire. Everything's fine. And people keep telling him and his scientists keep telling him that there's radiation, but they keep saying it's not that bad. But in actuality, what's happening is it's off the charts for every uh, like tool that they so bring they in to measure. They can't read it. They can't read it, and so their charts are saying that it's essentially it's it's not that dangerous. Like it's not good, but it's not dangerous. We've had worse kind of thing, uh, and they really just don't know how bad it is. So I don't know how to explain the numbers, but um, so their machines max out at three point six, whatever the units are that they measure it with. Later on, I'll tell you what the actual numbers are. But so right now they're saying it's only 3.6. It's not that bad. Ash from this fire reaches the city miles away. 
as uh, the citizens and even children are like standing outside watching it like it's fireworks from the 4th of July. And later on at the very end of the show, we find out that every single person who is standing uh, at that, like there's like a bridge miles away. Every single person that was standing there died, uh, even though it was miles and miles away. So they thought it was just something to, to watch. And they were celebrating. It literally looked like a 4th of July festival for them. Mm. So flash forward another hour, 3.30, those extra workers arrived, the ones the Atlov called in from the day shift. So now we have the night shift workers, at least what's left of them, the ones that haven't died, and the day shift workers are there. Flash forward again, 5.20. The leaders and the directors meet with a like big committee and one of them says that the directors are keeping information about how dangerous it really is and they need to evacuate the city immediately. And so we see for the first time, like one of the people in charge actually speaks up and like wants something to be done. And immediately the oldest and clearly like when he starts talking, you know, that he's very, very respected by everyone else. He stands up and he says, sometimes we fall prey to fear. Our faith in Soviet socialism will always be rewarded. The state tells us the situation is not dangerous. Have faith, comrades. The state tells us they want to prevent a panic. Listen well. It's true. When people see the police, they will be afraid. But it is my experience that when people ask questions that are not in their best interest, they should simply be told to keep their minds on their own labor and leave matters of the state to the state. We seal off the city, no one leaves, and we cut the phone lines to prevent the spread of misinformation. That is how we keep the people from undermining the fruits of their own labor. Yes, comrades, we will be rewarded for what we do tonight. This is our moment to shine. So without looking too much into my notes, what are your thoughts on that? Is he saying that they want to kind of wall it off in order to not cause panic to the cities outside of that? No. So he's saying that, well, so the first guy is saying that this is worse than it sounds right. and we need to get people out of here because if we don't, they're going to die. This guy is saying, if we let people out, then it's going to seem like a bigger deal than it actually is, according to them. And it's going to look like we failed and we can't do that. And so we need to contain it and we need to control it here. And then we'll be rewarded because if it gets out, then that makes USSR look weak. Right. Right. And so it's all about like keeping face even at the risk of lives, essentially. Uh, I mean, it just sounds like it goes back to the first quote. Like they're not quite lying because I almost feel like they believe it, but they're strategically making actions in order to be able to control mm -hmm. the people like crowd control yeah and once again for profit for some type of you know like you said we will be rewarded in the end for, for sure doing, for doing this yeah and I, I had that in mind too it's very prideful in that way i think right and also it's it's placing blind faith in men right it's saying we need to just trust we shouldn't question anything the state knows what's best and that's ridiculous like how many times like we all make mistakes, right? If we just blindly trusted in someone because they were a person in authority, like that's, that's awful. Like if something is unjust, then 
we have the responsibility to like act in opposition to that. Right. The other thing that I noticed in here is when he says, keep their minds on their own labor, it's kind of like our phrases of mind your own business. Or if you have nothing nice to say, then say nothing at all. Right. Which looking back has been so detrimental to society because that has kind of bred the, the mindset of you can't ever say anything bad about anyone. You can't ever call anyone out. Uh, you can't have any like fraternal correction because that would be offensive or wrong. And that's dangerous because Mm -hmm. then we just all assume that we're right. Right. But we can't all be right all the time. And it's just a really, really dangerous thing for society. And it's helpful to have fraternal correction, to have someone who can say to us healthily, and this is a relationship that you and I have, where we try to call each other out when we're messing up uh, and call each other to do something different. I think it also makes it hard, like now, when someone is wants to like add criticism uh, or call someone out and people take it in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. as like complaining or or as negative comments when it's not negative it's just like it's healthy criticism and a healthy way to like call someone into more holiness mm-hmm. but be just because of the culture and because of like you said if you have nothing nice to say and like live like just that seed being planted yeah just keep to yourself the people that are used to that way are like well why are you being mean to me mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i i think the other thing i want to take away from this paragraph is they try to stop the spread of information. They literally cut the phone lines. Anytime you try to stop communication because you don't want people to know what's going on, people know that's shady. Can you imagine if the U.S. government tried to do that? There would be an, a riot. And I think the same thing goes for like Satan too. Like, What does he try to do? He tries to stop communication between us. Because when we don't communicate, then we, we can feel isolated right and it's easier to attack us when we're isolated yes and so i think we also see kind of that spiritual warfare kind of thing going on there too just isolate everyone so they don't know what's going on but then they aren't worried yeah exactly yeah and so the lead engineer reports back to these directors not the whole council but just the main directors of the facility and they brought in a new machine and they tried measuring the radiation and this one goes up to a thousand And as soon as they tried to measure it, it broke immediately. And so they assumed, oh, it's just a faulty machine. In reality, it's because it was over 1,000. Right. And so they used one that went up to 200, and that one maxed out. And so they're like, oh, well, maybe it's it's worse than we thought, but it's it's still not that bad. It's only 200. And they keep saying stuff like that. And the directors themselves actually don't even believe that, like, he's telling the truth. He's like, it's not possible for it to go up to 200. They keep saying... It's not possible. Like, you're just wrong. That That's like, I'm a scientist. I know this. You're wrong. And the guy's just like, okay. <laughs> and he tries to explain that, like, he literally personally walked around the building and found graphite. And that was the rock that the firemen were holding. And he explains, and this is where we learn, the only place where there's graphite in the entire place is at the core of the facility. The nuclear core. So Dyatlov just, just outright says, you're lying. That's not possible. It's literally not possible. And they keep denying it. And then immediately as Dyatlov is saying that's not true, he starts to vomit blood. And this is inside the bunker with the rest of the leaders. So they're in like a secure bunker. They force the engineer to go to the roof and look down into the reactor to see 
what's actually down there, basically to prove him wrong. And he does. And they go up there, and he knows that like it's going to kill him if he does it, but they force him to go. And then we see the two engineers who were in charge of the controls, are they go into the building itself because there's water valves in there, and they're trying to like balance out some of the water pressure or something like that. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details on it, but in that moment, one of them says, maybe we did do something wrong. And that's the first time that they admit it. So that's episode one. I'm going to keep going because I don't know what time is and I feel like we're going kind of long. Episode two, 8.30 a.m., over 400 kilometers away, there's an institute that's in charge of like nuclear anything for, mm-hmm. for the USSR. And it starts picking up really high levels of radiation. This is 400 kilometers away. And they call Chernobyl, but nobody answers. And so they start calling around and they start seeing if there's something going on here. Doctors don't know what to do with the burns. And one of the nurses kind of like helps helps them out. And the man that we saw from the beginning, this is where he comes in. His name is Professor Valery Legasov. And he's summoned to a meeting with a bunch of high-ranking officials because he's an expert on nuclear uh, reactors, essentially. And so they discuss a report from Chernobyl. Right. And as he's going through, he's like, no, like, if this is true, then things are... Not okay. Not okay. Like, it's it's way worse than they're, they're making it out to be. And it's even way worse than what this other guy in episode one was saying. It's actually probably the worst thing that's, like, ever happened in the history of the world, essentially, is what um, Legasov is trying to tell people. So he points out that the graphite in the number 3.6 from the radiation reading uh, and says that it's not actually 3.6. That's just what it maxed out at. So this is for the first time they're realizing how bad it is. And he says even that is equivalent to 400 x-rays of radiation happening at once. So even 3.6 is extremely dangerous, which the other guys were denying. The head of the committee says, I don't hear facts at all. All I hear is a man I don't know engaging in conjecture in direct contradiction to what has been reported by the party officials. And so again, we see like this denial of the truth. They're afraid of the truth. It just, they keep denying everything, even when they're presented with facts. And so eventually Legasov calms down and convinces them to like, let him explain how bad it is. And so he is sent with Boris Sherbina, who we did Goodwill Hunting right. a while ago. Yeah. He is the professor, the same, oh, a- same okay. actor. Yeah. So gotcha. this Sherbina guy, along with Legasov are kind of the some of the main characters for the rest of the show. So uh, they meet with the Chernobyl officials uh, and Sherbina uses some of the information that he kind of like tricked out of Legasov on the way there. And they need to figure out like exactly what's wrong. One of the military leaders says their high level radiation tester has just arrived and they can put it on a lead protected truck and drive it into the core to actually see how bad it is. Uh, Progress. Professor Legasov says, like, this is good, but it's too dangerous. Like, anyone who does it is going to die. And that military official actually volunteers. He says, I'll do it. So he drives it in. When he comes back, he didn't actually get all the way to the core because he's in a truck, obviously. But when he comes back, the reading was 15,000, not 3.6, obviously. So extremely dangerous. And Legasov says that this is over twice as much as an atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima every single hour of radiation. So serious stuff. The Chernobyl leaders 
are then escorted away for safety. And the professor tells Shabina how he thinks they can put the reactor out, but Shabina refuses to evacuate still. And so everyone's still stuck in the town. Uh, the next day, April 27th, 30 hours after the explosion, uh, they use helicopters to start dropping stuff on the fire. It's certain, I think it's like sand. Hmm. I don't remember what it was, but whatever it was, it was like supposed to chemically like balance some of the stuff. And that day, Sweden detects radiation coming from that plant and leaks it. And then the Americans use satellites to figure out what's going on. Now the whole world knows. And so people all over Europe are being affected and countries all over are telling their people to stay inside because they know how dangerous it is. And yet this town that's only a couple miles away is not allowed to go anywhere. And they're outside. You can see them playing in the yards because they don't know anything because they don't know anything, even though the rest of the world is safe, essentially. 2 p.m. the second day. Uh, finally, Sherbina is convinced to evacuate. So they have 50,000 civilians in the city and they're trying to evacuate them. They have hundreds of like buses that come in and they, they bring the people out. The woman from that Institute of Nuclear Activity that I mentioned before read the 400 kilometers away, there was radiation. She, she shows up and she explains what's happening and that what they're dropping on the fire to put it out seems like it would work normally, but what it's going to do is actually heat things up and because of all the water underneath from trying to put out the fire, it's actually going to cause a steam explosion. And so the way they explain it, I don't know if I have the, the notes here, but essentially it would blow up most of Eastern Europe mm. and all of Europe would be like dangerous and no food would be edible or water Jeez. drinkable for like 100 plus years uh, if they, they mess it up. And so essentially what they need is three workers who know the plant to be able to go in into the water underneath this core. So they're literally going 10, 15 feet away from this nuclear core and they need to open up like these drainage things. And so they somehow convince three guys to essentially uh, commit suicide uh, to go in and save everyone else. And they do. And that's kind of how we, we end the second episode is they go in. So, that's a lot of information. I want to kind of see if we can unpack some of that before we dive into season three. Uh, yeah. Essentially what I'm, I'm getting from this is what happens, like you, you've said it a few times with the denial of truth. Yeah. What happens when we deny in a way where we believe just if we turn a blind eye, if we choose not to accept this and we accept what we want to accept as truth. Mm-hmm then eventually what we will accept as truth will become true. But that's not, not that's, that's, that's not, not how it works. Yeah, exactly. But like, that's like what's happening. They're like, look, just the longer we tell them they're wrong because they're wrong and we're right. When the, well, this will play out, then they will finally see that we're right. And then you're seeing that the repercussions of them trying to like put out small fires that are arising as they're learning, like, okay, it's a little bit worse is only making it worse. Like you, like we just said in the very end, like mm-hmm. putting the, the sand, to try to fix stuff. It's a metaphor. Made, made it even worse. Yeah. And the only way to actually fix this problem, and there's a few people that have been doing it, is to sacrifice yourself and mm-hmm. almost die to yourself in order to fix it. Like those yes. guys went in to die to save everyone else. Like yeah. 
it's no longer about me anymore. Like the it's, other people, it's about, it's about everybody continent. else. Yeah. And they actually, at one point, I think it's episode two or three, will describe exactly like the slow, painful death of like how this happens. And these guys knowing that going in, oh my gosh, like you get all the feels watching this. And anyone, and he mentions this in that opening quote, I guess from the beginning of the show, the heroes are forgotten. And that's the whole point of like why they said they made this this series. And yeah, it's it's just awesome. You really... I don't know. You really root for, for these guys and just like knowing that they're they're going to die. Yeah. And so start of episode three, we see that they succeeded. They walked out and they're joyful. They bring them a bunch of alcohol to celebrate. And these guys, uh, they realize they're going to die soon, but they just saved literally almost all of Europe. And we flash forward a couple of days. So it's four days after all this went down. And now we're actually in Moscow, and we see that one of the firemen, his name is Ignatenko, uh, he's brought there, and his wife actually bribes her way into visiting him. She's not supposed to go into the hospital because it's dangerous with the radiation and stuff, but she bribes her way in. And she's told that she cannot touch him under any circumstances because of the radiation, but she agrees, and immediately as soon as the nurse leaves, she just like starts hugging him and kissing him and stuff, and that's important, and we'll get to, later we'll get to why. So... We find out Shubina only evacuated 30 kilometers uh, instead of the 200 that was he was told to do. And so yeah. a lot of people are still in danger. And then we start to see that the fuel rods start to melt down. That's what they were concerned about. Because when the fuel rods melt, melt down, that's when it starts to get worse again. And so it's starting to happen. A couple days later, so we're at May 2nd. This is, I think, six days after the mm-hmm. actual explosion. The general secretary, who was the guy from that first like big council meeting says to Legasov, I don't want questions. I want to know when this will be over. And immediately after that, Legasov and Shabina realize that they have been bugged and have been being followed. And so this is kind of just going back to that council. I don't want questions. I want to know when this will be over. Again, he's like denying any questions. He doesn't want anyone to ask. He doesn't want anyone to have information. It's all just like, shut it down. As soon as possible, we don't want this to get out. And it's just more of that denial, more of cover-ups. And then we find out uh, that the physicist woman from before, her name is Ulana. Uh, so Legasov tells her that they won't be able to figure out why it exploded doing the math because it just doesn't make sense. They've been running every possible situation and they just haven't been able to figure it out. So she needs to go to Moscow and start interviewing the men who were there. So she goes to where the people who were in the control room are now dying in a hospital, including Dyatlov and the okay. others. So she goes there. Meanwhile, they go and get a bunch of miners from a nearby coal mine, and they say that they need to dig a hole underneath the reactor to stop the, the meltdown, essentially. Ignatenko, the, the wife, is told to keep distance from her husband, but keeps going back over and over, hugging and kissing, and this keeps coming up later on, too. Meanwhile, in the same hospital, Ulana, the physicist, visits Dyatlov in the hospital. But Dyatlov refuses to talk. He's denying everything. Um, And then we also see, again going back to the heroes, these miners go right to work immediately. They have about 400 people come in and they're supposed to dig 12 feet to be more safe from the radiation. But the head like minor essentially says it'll be faster if we do six like knowing that they're going to get double the radiation essentially he's like we have 
like uh, we have to or else it's exactly it's pointless yeah yeah so it was a time crunch and so they do and these miners are nuts in the most respectful way possible we flash forward to nine days after the miners say it's 122 degrees fahrenheit in the tunnel but the officials refuse to give them any fans or anything because if they do it'll start kicking up radiation and so they do it naked they mine naked uh, day and night nonstop this whole time uh, and this is earlier when i was talking about the the one scene we flash over to ulana and she visits the engineers from the control room specifically the one who said that maybe something did go wrong at the beginning of the show and we find out he was only 25 and he was the senior engineer for the whole plant. They move Ignatenko and the nurse who told his wife not to touch him tells her she needs to leave, but she won't. So she says to just uh, stay behind this like plastic coating. And immediately, again, as soon as the nurse leaves, she goes in and like lays on the cot with him, even though his skin is literally like melting off. It's crazy. So Ulana is interviewing this engineer who says that there was a spike in power. So they initiated a shutdown, causing the explosion. The other engineer pressed the button, causing the explosion, so she goes to him to interview, and he keeps saying the same thing at the beginning. I did everything right. I did everything right, over and over again. And they're just denying that anything went wrong. And then she catches Ignatenko and calls her out, and calls out the nurse. And as she's doing so, the KGB come in and arrest her. Are you following so far? I know mm -hmm. this is a lot of stuff. Okay, May 7th back in Moscow. So they're back with the big committee meeting again. This is Sherbina and Lagasov. They tell the council that thousands of kilometers will need to be evacuated. All animals will need to be killed. Forests will, be, will need to be burned. And at least 100 kilometers squared of land will need to be dug up and burned. And there will need to be some kind of containment structure put over the core to stabilize it. And this is kind of like we've stopped the immediate situation but now the aftermath is hitting. So they start recruiting about 750,000 men, and they say it's going to take several years for this to finish, okay? Legasov talks to the KGB director and gets Ulana released, and she tells them what she learned, and then we see that Ignatenko and the other firemen die, and they're buried in uh, metal coffins below cement. And that's where we end episode three. So there's a lot going on there. There's yeah. a lot of lies, a lot of cover-ups, a lot of denial of the truth. And it wasn't until people started coming in. Because originally, Sherbina was anti any of this. He didn't believe any of it. He was totally on board with the state. He was an up-and-coming kind of like politician. And so it was all about like, agree with who you need to agree with. But when he got there, he was like, no, like this needs to be done. And it took time for Legasov to kind of work on him. But once we get to episode three, we start to see that that shift. And so I kind of just want your, your final thoughts on, on this. We'll go into the other episodes in part two of this, this series. Well, I think what's most interesting that we haven't touched on really, I mean, it's still kind of all the same, like you said, lies as well as just denial as well as truth. But the one guy that, or if the few people that are just like, I did everything right. Mm -hmm. I did everything right. And I think like there is, there are moments where we are, moving along we are walking in our faith journey and we and in our sights you know our earthly vision we're doing everything right mm -hmm. and then we like look back like turn around and you just see like a lot of mistakes the aftermath yeah yeah it's like living a life without a daily examine if you're mm -hmm. going when you're not like examining where you missed god where where you like because uh what's what's it called when you 
don't sin from action, but a sin of omission. Yeah, sin of omission. You know, that's that's a thing too. Yeah. And it's it's not that you're just doing everything right, but it's also you're you're not missing opportunities to to, to live yeah. and to reach or to keep your eyes on truth, mm-hmm. you know, on, on Christ. Um, and the other thing was when he said no questions, I just want to know this will end. And it made me think of like cutting the phone lines. And it's like another aspect of this is like I, I, I'm a really big component of asking questions mm-hmm. like you you ask questions you will find truth exactly and that's another reason of miscommunic not only miscommunication but just if someone in the town just asked a question and then called someone up and asked they asked a question the more they started to like search they would find like oh there's something going on and the people in the town could probably figure out something's really not good even before these people that are that know it's not good or denying it would tell would tell them hmm. Um, so like asking questions is huge when he's like, I don't want questions. And it's like everyone here is just totally not really a Satan figure, but like just in these ways that we can see Satan totally works. corrupted characters. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So since we have uh, we're going to do a two part here and we'll cover the rest of the, the show on the second one. Let's talk about challenges for this one. I think it's kind of interesting uh, since most of it has to do with lies and truth. I haven't really fleshed this out much, but I'm thinking for for one of the challenges to think on your life and and find what lie you've been keeping in. I think we all have lies in some some capacity. And if it's something that needs to come forward, and most likely it is, uh, who do you need to reveal that to? Maybe you've been keeping something from uh, a family member or a spouse or... um, Uh, maybe for people our age, maybe it's like something that you've been holding in from your parents. uh, That's kind of like a deep residual, like hurt. Maybe it's something you need to go to confession about stuff like that, but whatever it is, recognize like, what are you keeping down that you need healing with and go find the person you need to talk to about that and and do that. And that's, that's a big challenge. And I I realize that. And um, I just challenge you guys to, to recognize that and to, to act on it. Yeah. Do you have anything else? Uh, I was thinking, kind of just sitting with kind of in the same time of reflecting and, and kind of seeing if there's anything in your life that you notice, not, you're not going to notice it yourself, but like from, maybe from other people that might some, just, what, what, what do you do or what's something just that's a part, like a part of who you are that might like negatively affect other people. Hmm. I was listening to a certain podcast talking about something that made me think of that. And it's just, even like I said, even if you're blind to you, you're doing, you're not doing anything wrong. If if you kind of have seen in small ways that it's negatively negatively affecting other people, just sitting with like, well, why does mm. it affect these people? Like, what is it? Is it something that I need to recognize and work with, or is it something? Is it like? Is it more of like other like something that, like a conversation needs to happen and. Like people are like, or one person is like misunderstanding or something. But that was just kind of what came to mind. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe just throwing out a third one. You guys don't have to do all these. Maybe choose one or two. Um, Find a way to stand for truth this week. Mm. You know, if there's something that comes up or if there's something that you've just been like kind of letting happen and not standing up, 
find a way to to stand up for that. And it might cause you to like those three guys who had to wade into the water knowing it would kill them. Maybe it's going to cause you to sacrifice in, in a way, but stand for truth and whatever that looks like. With that, do you have any shout-outs for this week? Any shout-outs? Um, any at all? I don't think I do have any shout-outs. Okay. I want to give a shout-out to a couple people who have just been helping me in all the chaos this week. So, especially my coworkers, David and Annie, especially, who have been helping me through a lot of the crazy stuff going on, and then you for all the prayer support, too. So, shout-out to Gordon. You haven't gotten a shout-out in a long time since you've been on the show. So... Uh, yeah, just shout out to everyone who's been been there for me this week because it's been crazy. Cool. Otherwise, you guys know where to find us. We have a Facebook, uh, the Christ and Culture. Culture. We have a Twitter at On the Adventure. We have a website, thechristandculture.com, which you can get to the social media that way. It has blogs. It has some videos. Uh, all of our episodes. Oh yeah, all of our episodes, as well as a tab for support. Which, if this is, you know, what if you like what we do and you, you kind of feel it on your heart that you want to help benefit this, um, because it'll just help kind of make this more perfect, and and for for you, uh, we can get better equipment. We can just do it in more of a way where this can reach so many more people and and with with, with better quality. Um, that is a Patreon, so Patreon forward slash the Christ and Culture dot com. Mm-hmm. I'm actually editing a podcast right now that will go out to the first five patrons. Mm-hmm. And right now we have three. So there's still two more slots for, for that. Um, if you would like two bonus episodes right now, ultimately five that only five people can get support our podcast. Yeah. And with that, thank you guys for joining us on the adventure and we will finish this next time. Mm-hmm.